Welcome to She Breeds, where the goal of every podcast episode is to inspire and empower women to up-level and lean in to the best versions of themselves. I hope you enjoy. Happy Saturday afternoon, everyone. It's obviously not Friday morning. Just couldn't get things going yesterday. It was the big county clash rivalry game in our county, and Unless you have any idea what I'm talking about, it's impossible to understand what a humongous event this is. So we have two high schools in our county, and they've, for many, 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 many years, they've, we've had this big rivalry football game. Like, I don't want to misquote the number of years, but it's been a lot of years, um, decades. So yeah, um, and it's, it gets a little heated because a lot of the kids know each other, and um, one school had been winning for a while, and then now the school that our kids go to have won for two years, so it's kind of fun when it kind of goes back and forth because it keeps it more of a rivalry instead of like just like a one-sided thing, but um, our school was not predicted to win, or like they didn't think that they were going to win, but they did, so it was kind of a big deal for our kids in this house, um, but I do know that I have parents and teachers from the rival school who listen to this podcast, so I'm not going to dwell on it because I'm just not going to. I mean... I'm not really a person that gloats when I win anything anyway, but it was fun to see all the kids out there. I love watching any kind of high school athletics because it's so impressive just to see the amount of dedication and athleticism and youthfulness. And I think the older I get, just the more inspired I get by younger people. And so it was really fun. It was actually really fun. Um, And the energy in the stadium was magnetic and it just was a really good time. Then I have a really funny story for you all that I have to share because it just happened and it was heartwarming yet also comical, which is one of my favorite words to use. But there was like a street fair in our town. It's like an annual really fun fall like craft, arts and craft fair with live music and food. And so um, Matthew and I, the kids are with the other parent this weekend. So Matthew and I went and we we're walking around the the, fa- the fair, and then we were like, you know, um, let's just go have some, or like some appetizers at this at a really popular brewery that's in our town. So we go, and we, I wanted to sit at the bar, because I just like the energy at a bar, if like, in, the, in, the, in any way, the wait was like 45 minutes long, so we couldn't do that. So um, so we're sitting at the bar, and we, we, we were trying to order like this ahi nacho, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so good, it's like homemade nacho, homemade tortilla chips, but then with ahi tuna chunks and then like guacamole and all this like really healthy and you know I've been eating plant-based and fish is like one of the proteins animal proteins that I do eat occasionally so whenever I do get to eat it I get so excited so we ordered this ahi tuna appetizer and right before we tried to order it this couple was sitting beside us and they were around our age and they were like really talkative and nice I mean like like, they were already talking to each other and they were just kind of like chatting well when we tried to order it the guy looks over and he's like hey 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 this might sound kind of weird but we just ordered the same exact thing he had it in front of him he had only eaten like two bites of it and he was like we ordered that exact same thing and we then we ordered a bunch of other food and we just over ordered so we cannot eat all this food so do you guys want to just eat this and it was really funny because for a minute I thought that's really weird I mean that I would we would just take an appetizer from these people we just met but I don't know I just was getting really good energy from them and he said he hadn't even touched the guacamole and he had just eaten some off the other side and so we did and it felt kind of like rebelliously human like you know I think COVID really put us all into a tailspin of barely to even talk to a stranger or get within like 
five feet of them for fear of germs. And it just felt like a very human experience to just be like, okay, we'll just take yours then. And then we ended up talking to them the entire time. And by the time we were finished, we were old pals and we exchanged contact information and they had just gotten married last night. So it was their second, they were blending families. So that resonated with us and it was fun to talk to them. Um, and they're from South Carolina and we live in Western North Carolina and they were about to get back on the road, but yeah, it was, it was super fun. So we exchanged information and I was like, you know, you guys better get in touch with us when you'll come back up and we'll hang out. Um, but yeah, it was really refreshing. I think is the best word because it just felt like, and then we started talking to the couple on the other side of us and it was just like, wow, like it feels so good to be back into a space in life where it feels like normal humor, human interaction and just like niceness and kindness and just just people being kind to each other and, and meeting strangers and being social and it not being about, you know, just anything other than just human beings in the same space, like being nice to each other and talking and having a good time, enjoying a beautiful autumn Saturday in the mountains. And it was, it was awesome. Um, and you know, it's just been a really challenging week globally is if everyone knows. And, um, I wrote a column about it this week. I have a newspaper column that I write every other week and instead of kind of getting into the minutia of all of the ins and outs of what's going on um, in the Middle East, because I am still trying to understand it myself, and I think a lot of people don't want to misspeak on something that is just such a long time, um, convoluted, um, emotionally charged conflict. Like, I certainly don't know enough to even like put my two cents in. So I just basically, instead of talking about the conflict itself, I talked about, like, why do we have to be like this? Like, why does, like, why can't we just do what every single religion on earth asks us to do and that, and all that's asking us to do is embody, you know, love, light, and compassion. If if everyone would just embody that, oh my gosh, everything would just be so much more joyful. Like, you know, and then I talked about the false idols, um, which are fame, money, pleasure, and power. And I just talk, and it's, you know, something I've been kind of studying during this, um, you know, in the past year or so. And it just, like most of us have one central idol that we're kind of seeking. And, and, and the, it's sometimes the closer we get to it, like the more, the further we get from our, from the divine, because they're such earthly, um, earthly things, you know, that, that don't really have any depth to them, that we think that that's going to bring us happiness. But the closer we get to these idols, the further we feel. And so it's okay to seek an idol. That's not the problem. But what we're supposed to do is be aware of which idol we're seeking. And kind of when we start to get like more focus on the idol, we're supposed to kind of be, be like, oh, here I go again and sort of reframe and go back to a place of um, love and gratitude and appreciation. And when we go back to that place, often whatever it is that we're seeking comes to us anyway. So it's, it's a very interesting thing. But I just feel like um, a lot of folks, because they want power and fame and money, they turn on humanity and then they just do whatever it takes to get that power and that whatever, whatever their greed is seeking. And so that to me is just the travesty of all of this. And oftentimes they do it in the name of God. And that especially is heartbreaking and unnecessary and just so frustrating. So for anyone who is closer to the situation you know, than I am obviously like that has family or, you know, is of that lineage or anything like that. Um, I just don't know what you're going through and I don't, and I am so sorry. And I just want to know that we feel for you. Those of us that 
are thinking of you and have compassion, I can't imagine. Um, so, and so now it's already Saturday. Like I said, I just couldn't get to this yesterday. I took the cross country team an early dinner because they were all going pretty much straight from cross country practice to the big game. And so I took them pizza and bananas and drinks. And then, um, I had to go to the game to volunteer. So I was at the stadium for six hours, but it was, like I said, it was fun. And we went to bed later than normal, but it's been a relaxing morning, and I'm excited to be here on the podcast today. I'm looking forward to the topic I'm going to talk about and share with you because I think it really is relevant for everyone. Um, and it's about the diseases of attitude. So I'll get more into it. Um, but I stumbled upon a podcast, or it was like a talk by Jim Rohn, and it was um, repurposed, and it was presented on the Resilient Mind podcast platform, and I listened to it the other day, and it was it was so powerful to me that I was like, oh, I'm gonna like sum that up and share it with my podcast audience, and I can't wait to share. So here we go. So like I said, I've been really enjoying the Resilient Mind podcast, and I've yet to listen to an episode without feeling motivated and inspired. And what I find most fascinating is that no matter how much time has passed since some of these recordings, like some of these recordings were from like the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or even earlier perhaps, um, and they're all different types of people, you know, Zig Ziglar and Oprah and like just all over the place. But the cool thing is it's like the themes are often extremely similar. Like no matter which one I listen to, the themes are always about, you know, a positive mindset, releasing limiting beliefs, having courage to be the person you want to be, living from a place of love, you know, given everything you do, everything you've got, um, having compassion for other human beings. Like it's so interesting how all these gurus, even though they weren't connected in real life and some of their paths never even crossed, it just, the themes are the same because it just all boils down to that, to these same things. You know, when we work on healing some of our past traumas and we work on not living from a place of anxiety and fear but living from a place of joy and compassion and light and love and um you know whatever you're doing give it all you got like all these kind of things like they're they're that's just what all these people are saying but now granted they all present it in a different way they all have different personalities and so none of the episodes sound exactly the same obviously but I usually end them by kind of feeling the same. I always end the episode with this kind of smile on my face, like feeling motivated and wanting to share what I've learned. Like I've shared some of what I've learned with the kids. And I think it's really important with all of them being athletes just to have the right kind of mindset and, you know, and it takes courage. It takes courage to be an athlete. It takes courage to try out for sports teams to get out there and, and like, you know, in, in front of a crowd and spectators and, to compete and, you know, to be on a team, all that takes a lot of courage and dedication. And I'm, and I'm really proud of them, but that's a whole nother conversation. But anyway, so, um, the one that I'm going to talk about today is by someone named Jim Rohn and he was like a teacher and motivational speaker. He started out in direct sales and he realized that he was a really good salesperson, but he was also a really captivating speaker. And so, um, over time he shifted from from being a salesperson to being, 
a motivational speaker. And um, he has a great voice, so I can see why he was really popular back then. And this one was really fun to listen to because you could actually hear him writing on a chalkboard in the background. So if that dates it, then I don't know what does. But um, for me, a kid of the 80s whose teachers wrote on a chalkboard, it's kind of fun to hear that sound again. Um, But, you know, obviously we all know of common diseases of the body, such as heart disease or cancer or diabetes, MS, you know, there are all kinds of diseases of the body and there are also diseases of the brain such as Alzheimer's. But what we don't think about sometimes are the diseases of our attitude. And so these diseases can often be just as detrimental because they infiltrate our mind, our thinking pattern. They infiltrate our behaviors, our choices. um, And that in turn actually can very much affect our physical health. And so what I'm talking about today are these seven diseases of attitude. And if you know what they are, again, I feel like everything begins with awareness. So if you know what these diseases are, when you feel them creeping in, or you see someone in your life presenting one, um, then you can kind of, once you're aware, then you can do something about it. Um, And before I get into the specific attitude diseases, I wanna talk about negativity. So I like how Roan offers the metaphor that negativity in your life is like weeds growing in a garden. And if we don't take care of it, it will overtake the garden, he says. So negative is normal. It's not successful, but it's normal. This is what he says. A little bit of negativity is part of life, but you don't have to dwell on the negative negative, and you have to handle it. What he means by that is like whatever negative thing is going on, or whatever negative mindset you have, you can have to handle it, whether it's taking action a certain way, having a hard conversation, um, tweaking some part of your daily life or, or changing a decision or something like that. You, ha- you handle the negative and then you move on and it, that, that is the way to not let the weeds overtake your garden. Um, and Roan also discusses the great war of good and evil. Like life is a great go- war of good and evil. There's darkness and there's light. There's negative and there's positive. There's democracy and there's tyranny. Um, there is enterprise and there's ease. And so if good does not arouse and activate itself, guess what creeps in? Evil. Um, same thing if democracy does not, you know, arouse and activate itself in a positive way, what creeps in tyranny. So, you know, in the absence of light, there's darkness. So I love all these metaphors because for me as a visual person and, and someone with a big imagination, it really helps me kind of see like, that is why we have to keep the, the energy high and the, and the goodness in our hearts because evil can very quickly creep in and that's what we don't want to happen. Um, evil is no match for good, but the good must remain active is what he says. And I love that concept. So, you know, I think about like, sometimes I'll go into a setting where I can feel like a negative vibe and it's so frustrating because there's no point in that. There's just literally no point in having a negative vibe, especially if there's just literally like literally if nothing is nef- if nothing bad is even going on, then why be so negative, you know? And so sometimes I, I decide like, before I go into a situation with, that I feel like is going to be negative, I decide, you know what, I'm going to bring in the light and energy. I'm going to come in with like the highest vibe and see just whose attitude I can change. And typically it just, it does change the vibe. And if it's such a heavy negative vibe that it doesn't change it, at least I feel good because I'm not going to let somebody who's just negative for no reason get me down. Now, granted, we go through things. So that's different. Like sadness and grief and all that thing that we, you know, those things that we're trying to work through, that's different than just being negative about everything. And I think, you know what I mean? Um, and so he essentially says back to the weeds in the garden that weeds can be no match for a good gardener. 
So, and I love that because the garden of life, we are the gardener of our own garden. And so the weeds are negativity, um, toxic people, you know, um, just those kinds of things are the weeds. And so if we, as the gardener, handle them, then we will have a beautiful garden and there will be no weeds. So I love that. Um, so basically recognize the negative, handle it and move on. So now these seven diseases of the attitude, which I think a lot of them are going to be very, um, not surprising. And so I'm going to go ahead and and tell you all of them first, and then we'll kind of go back and I'm going to give you a little, a little bit of information about each, but the seven attitude diseases or diseases of attitude are indifference, indecision, doubt, worry, overcaution, pessimism, and complaining. So let's dig in. So number one, indifference. This is just when you like shrug your shoulders, you kind of live in like that mild, lukewarm state where you're just kind of like, whatever, I don't see the point in getting worked up. And you're just kind of drifting along, like chameleoning your way through things, like just whatever. And what Roan says is like, you'll never get to a top of a mountain by drifting. So, and lukewarm, it's just a sad way to live. You know, pick a direction and go with it with everything you've got. Maybe the reason that you're indifferent is because you don't know what to do. Well, the advice is pick a direction either way and go for it. Give it all that you have because one, opportunity will come to you if you're really putting your heart and soul into it. Or you're going to find out quicker that it's not the right decision if you put everything you have into it. Um, He says the next best thing to prosperity is adversity. Okay, so because we all do things for one of two reasons, inspiration or desperation. So either way, though, inspiration or desperation, there's some charge behind it, some like um, adrenaline, some emotion, and that's going to make it more exciting either way than just being indifferent about everything. Um, You know, we have to learn how to put everything you've got into everything you do. And I've always been like this. And this is probably why I've had a number of careers is because every career that I've had, I have put my heart and soul into it because I can't really do things halfway. And very quickly, I either love it or I'm like, eh, this isn't for me because I can't just be like, I have to be like the, the top of whatever it is I'm doing. I just put my heart and soul into it. But then, and then it's sad sometimes because even when I rise to the top of whatever ladder I'm trying, then I'm like, oh, I don't really like it. Well, that's maybe not a good thing for for my colleagues and like whatever. And it takes a lot of life adjustment when you change careers. But at the same time, I don't want to stay in something that I don't like. But I think if I just would have gone through these opportunities and been like, do, 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 just kind of halfway doing it, I may would not have found out so quickly that I didn't like it or that it wasn't for me. So indifference. Number two indecision. So this is like mental paralysis. When you can just never make up your mind one way or the other, it can be extremely debilitating. Like when you always have to ask somebody else, well, what do you think? Or you just go along with their decision. You're, you're just really bad at making decisions. Um, it's, it's debilitating because you can't really move forward unless you always have somebody in your back pocket helping you make a decision. So Roan says, you know, any decision is better than indecision. So basically if you don't know what decision to make, just make 
a decision and kind of like the indifference thing, you're going to find out very quickly if it was the wrong decision. And he says, a life full of adventure is a life full of many decisions. And the ones that end up being wrong decisions will teach you a lot. And the ones that end up being the right decisions will bring you even more adventure. And so when you have trouble making decisions, just make a decision one way or the other. You know, even if you're standing there in the grocery store and you're like, ugh. Apples or strawberries, strawberries or apples, just get the strawberries and move on. If you get home and you're like, dang it, I should have gotten apples. Well, oh well, at least you've got some strawberries and tomorrow you can get the apples. So that's a very minor example of what I'm talking about. I kind of did that too. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into school counseling or school psychology. They are very different. I decided to go into school psychology. I gave it all that I got and it ends up not being the career that I really enjoyed. It was fine. I met a lot of great people. I learned a lot, but it was not a career that I enjoyed Did I go back into school counseling? No, I just pivoted entirely and went into the classroom. But still, if I just would have waffled for years, like, I don't know if I want to be a a school psychologist or a school counselor, then nothing would have happened. So I can think of a lot of examples of like this, where I'm like, what should I do one way or the other? And I've just ended up making a decision, but I'm still not, I still, it still sometimes takes me some time to make a, I mean, I make decisions pretty quickly, but, but you know, it, I'm not super quick decision maker, but I have learned that kind of like what he's saying, I just need to make a decision one one way or the other. And I'll find out quickly if it was the wrong one. So number three, doubt, doubt is like a plague. And one of the worst types of doubt is self doubt. Like when we never trust ourselves or have enough faith in ourselves to do the things that we want to do. And that is really, really sad. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't think I can make more money. I don't think I'll ever find the love of my life. I'm never going to find the house that I want. I'm never going to find the job that I want. You know, it's like so sad because if you don't believe in yourself, then you're never going to be able to, to create this life that I know in your mind, you know, that you want to live. So basically he says, it's easy. Just turn the coin over and become a believer, be determined to become a believer in not just yourself, but in other people, but, you know, don't just always doubt everyone and everything and think it's always going to end up bad. Just believe, believe in yourself, believe in other people, and just know that usually things work out pretty well, especially if you put everything you've got into it. And the understanding of self-worth is the beginning of progress. So until you believe in yourself, there's going to be very minimal progress. Um, number four, and this one, this one plagues me greatly. Number four is worry. So worrying too much will truly just drop you to your knees. I mean, it could even lead you to begging. If you're just so worried about something, it could just, you know, make you like beg somebody to help you do this or, 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 um, you know, persuade you that that's not going to happen or whatever. It just, it's just such a terrible way to live because worry is one of the ones that actually can lead to physical illness because it causes so much oxidative stress when you're spiraling and constantly worried about the future and something that you can't control, then worry is just really bad. I feel like I either inherited it genetically from my mom or just systemically by what her modeling her behavior. She was a worrier and now I worry and it's truly unnecessary because like I'm getting better at it because I am learning that you, we truly can't control the future. So what is the point worrying, you know? And I mean, something could happen at any moment. Like I don't need to worry about something big. I mean, little things like, like things can happen at any moment in any situation. So it's, it's worry is not a reason to refrain from trying new things or, or going on an adventure or doing something fun. Like, you know, because something bad could happen no matter where you are, when, whatever. So it's like, I feel like a lot of people maybe don't 
live this big, amazing, full life because they're worried of what will happen. But really, something could happen anywhere that you are. So, so basically, Jim Rohn says, give it up. Who needs it? It's not, an, it's not an easy thing to give up. It takes a lot of unwinding and rewiring. But he said that he did it within a year. He said it was a really hard year because he was doing a lot of adjustment, a lot of working to stop worrying. But he said when he got the monkey off his back, his life was truly a joy. And, you know, it's not free of challenge or difficulty. You know, life is not going to be free of challenge or free of difficulty, but we can help make it free of worry. Number five is over caution. So some people can just be way too cautious. They're so cautious, you know, um, and the opposite of cautious is reckless and you don't want to be too reckless. You know, you want to be somewhere in between. You want to be adventurous, but you don't want to be so cautious that you never do anything. And he calls this over caution, the timid approach to life. And it's kind of somebody who says like, yeah, but what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if I do this and then it doesn't go well? Or what if I do this? Or what if I, what if they do this? Like, you know, it's like that constant, like creating these stories in your mind because you're so worried that something, you know, negative or bad is going to happen. But really, it's all risky. Being alive in in and of itself is risky. So why not just be adventurous instead of so overcautious about everything? Um... So, so then he goes in, so Jim Rohn then goes into this thing, like, if you think trying is risky, wait until you get the bill for not trying anything. If you think investing is risky, try not investing and see where you are in 30 years, you know? So you got to give it a good go. Don't be overly cautious. Don't ask for securities. Ask for adventure. He says it's better to live a hundred, it's better to live a hundred years, no, sorry, it's better to live 30 years full of adventure than a hundred years in a safe corner. So, I mean, obviously it'd be fun to live a hundred years of adventure, but I mean, he's basically saying, you know, life isn't necessarily about the length. It's about the, the width, like how much life are we living in a day? And so we can't just be worried about getting from day to day and hoping that nothing's going to go wrong. That's, that's no way to live. Um, so, and then we've got um, pessimism. Number six, pessimism is such a deadly disease. I think that a lot of us know somebody who's like this. The glass, the glass is always half empty, um, always looking on the bad side, the scary side, the negative side. He doesn't look, you know, it's like you never look for virtue, always looking for faults. And when he finds them, he's so delighted. This is like his example, you know, Jim Rohn. It's like, um, oh, uh, just a pessimist is like, oh, see, I told you, like in anybody. It's like you can't bring out the highlights in everybody. You have to pull out the one negative thing and be like, see, there's there's his fault or there's the fault, either in a person or a situation. And so this can just be exhausting when you're around somebody who's constantly a pessimist. It's just like Debbie Downer. Da, da, da. And I've known people like this. I know people like this. And so I have to be the one like, well, you know, like kind of pull them out of that, the wet, that way of thinking. If they're constantly pessimistic, I'm like, well, and I always like bring up the silver lining. I know that I can, I'm not really, and I don't, I used to be more of a, a rose colored glasses kind of girl where I just thought I was super optimistic. And I think life has kind of like, you know, tapered that a little bit. I'm not quite so 
oh, everything's peachy. Um, I feel like that I'm in a pretty good place down the middle to where I, I don't see the point in being pessimistic because there usually is a positive side to everything. But I don't see the point in being overly optimistic because it's kind of like, well, I mean, there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some problem solving. You can't be like ridiculously optimistic. So number six, disease of attitude is pessimism. Um, glass half empty kind of person. And if you're that kind of person, I think if you're just aware of it, if you start to hear yourself doing that or you start to notice people's reactions when you get pes pessimistic, maybe work on either not saying it aloud or trying to basically like instead of the, let it be a cue. When you want to say something pessimistic, let, let it be a cue to turn it around and find a bright side to the situation. It's, again, it's none of these are easy to unwind if they've been long ingrained within you, but I have faith that you can do it. Um, number seven, the last disease or attitude disease is complaining. This is another one. And I feel like gossiping is that one that he has in here, but I feel like gossiping is sort of like a type of complaining because you're basically gossiping is like basically complaining about other people, um, or spreading rumors that people are saying about each other. But you know, some other types of complaining or whining, griping, crying, you know, nothing's good enough. Like this didn't go my way. And all of that will completely destroy your future. Spend five minutes complaining and you've wasted five minutes of your life. So complaining is extremely negative. It, it's such a deadly attitude. Um, indulge in complaining long enough and basically your future will get canceled because nobody likes a complainer. It doesn't only bring you down, but nobody's going to want to be around you. No one's going to want to hire you. And so ugh, the, the, the complaining thing, I am one of those people that when people start complaining, I basically like shut down and I just have to be like, well, I don't see the point in complaining because let's just talk about problem solving here. Um, if, if there's something to complain about, then there's something to solve. Like that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, all right, okay. Either it's, it, this could be as simple as having a conversation with this person. This could be a, a simple fix here, but let's not complain because that's really getting us nowhere. So, um, I mean, I, I'll let people vent for a short time, but, but I mean, like, I'm not talking about that necessarily. If there's a singular incident where someone's venting about, okay, that's obviously fine. But if it's just this ongoing complaining about everything, then I have to like put the kibosh on that. So anyway, so those are the seven diseases of attitude. And I love them because I think, like I said, step one is just being aware of these diseases and how they're infiltrating your life. I mean, the mental war is on guys. We always have to be on guard. Like our mind is a very complicated thing. So we always kind of have to be, you know, life is how we think things are you know, it's not, it's not what they really are. So we have to kind of like befriend our mind and not believe everything that it says, you know, because better thinking habits are going to lead to a happier life. Poor thinking habits are going to lead to a more miserable life. So we've really got to work on making our minds happier and I mean, making our thinking more positive so that our lives feel happier. So how do you build a good life? It's not easy, but it's simple. So how do you build anything? You get the right ingredients and you leave out the bad ingredients. You have to be wise. You have to be careful. You have to be strategic. You know, you have to create a good life with the right ingredients. And every day, stand guard at the door of your mind. Stand guard at the door of your mind. You decide what goes into that mental factory of yours. So don't let anyone dump stuff into your mind that you don't want there because you have to deal with the results. You know, if you're a person that gets highly negatively affected by social media and the news, you know, refrain from 
imbibing in that because then you have to deal with the results of your mind. Um, if you're an overthinker, if you're in a, a friendship that's making you um, do some of these, have some of these attitude diseases, rethink, rethink that friendship. You know, sometimes friendships run their course. So one of Jim Rohn's best quotes that I like is, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. Don't wish for less challenge, wish for more wisdom. He also says, don't be a follower, be a student of life. Either you run the day or the day runs you. So I love all of that. And um, I, my little challenge to you this week is to go into the next seven days just really thinking about these attitude diseases, indifference, indecision, doubt, worry, overcaution, pessimism, complaining, you know, as they start creeping in or if you notice people that you love, you know, you know, if you notice them exhibiting these, just work on it, you know, be the guard of, you know, stand guard at the door of your own mind so that you can work on rewiring some of these old habits so that you can feel more grateful and joyful. Um, and that's my challenge to you. And I'm going to do the same thing going into the week. Um, I've already been kind of doing a little bit of this stuff, but I felt like when I listened to this podcast, it like really broke it down exactly to kind of what, you know, between this and learning about the false idols recently, I was like, wow, this stuff is like really resonating with me and making the day to day much easier because I can definitely be a victim of my own mind and just overthinking and worrying and all that kind of stuff. And I'm really, really, really working very hard to unwind some of that. Um, but lastly, I had talked about the book by Arthur C. Brooks and Oprah Winfrey last week, and we had talked about um, the macronutrients of happiness. And I said that I was going to bring to you the micronutrients of happiness, which I told you what they were, which were family, friends, faith, and work. And it's so good that I don't, I, I want to completely finish reading the book before I kind of like try to brush over it or kind of like not give you the in-depth, um, meaningful critique of the book or, or like, you know, highlights of the book that I want to. So I'm still going to give that to you probably next week. I'm not sure, but, um, it's so good. This book is so good and it's so inspiring. And I think for people who are just kind of at one of those impasses in life or a place where you kind of feel like, oh, nothing's shifting, nothing's going my way. I think that if you kind of focus on the micro micronutrients of happiness, then it, it really does start to shift. So I'll bring some more of that to you in the coming weeks. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for listening as always. And I'll catch you on the next episode of She Breathes. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. My goal is to share information and inspiration so that women feel seen, heard, and empowered. Also, if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share. Lastly, if you have a topic or idea that you want to hear more about, or if you want me to expound upon a topic I've previously discussed, please let me know. Message me on any of my social media platforms or email at susanna.shetley at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.